Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we are joined by a very special guest, aren't we, Bridget? Oh, very special. (laughs) Could not be more happy to have her here. Same. We are joined by our resident little sis, my little sis, Isabel Aries. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Emily and Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here because we are really excited to dive into today's topic all about women's colleges. And what's the deal with women's colleges, especially in today's day and age where gender fluidity is the norm. And we wanted to bring in someone like Isabel, who happens to be a second year student at Smith College, one of the nation's most famous, really longest standing, revered women's colleges uh, based in Massachusetts. So Izzy, how did you end up at Smith? Let's start there. Um, well, I wasn't really intending to go to a women's college. It wasn't something that I was looking for specifically, but I heard that Smith was an amazing place and it is, and, uh, it fit really well with a lot of what I wanted out of a college. So I visited and then I applied and I got in the more that I saw myself there and the more that I imagined myself like living on campus and taking classes and being in the kind of environment that a women's college provides. I, just found myself falling more and more in love with it. So now I am finishing up my first semester of my second year here. So it's just about final season. And I am double majoring in biology and environmental science and policy here now. So Izzy, you didn't go to a private or an all-girl high school when you were a bit younger. Did you just go to a public school? Yeah, I um, up until college, I was in public school my entire life from like kindergarten through my senior year of high school. So This is my first experience, like, in an educational setting that is completely free of cis men. 
So just in terms of your anecdotal evidence from being on campus, would you say a lot of the students there have a similar kind of background where they went to a public school or a co-ed school and then somehow wound up at an all-girls school? Or is it folks who have gone to single-sex schools for most of their lives? I would say that now the amount of people who went to single-sex education and then came here to a single-sex secondary education um, is very much a minority. I think most people also went to public schools or like also went to co-ed schools of any kind um, and either intentionally or unintentionally, like myself, um, found themselves here. Yeah, like all of us in our household, we're all public school kids. And I experienced higher education that was also co-ed. Bridget, you went to, as we've discussed a few times on the pod already, a single sex, uh, all women's high school. Yeah, I went to women's school when I was younger. Um, I feel like I talk about this a lot because I loved it so much, but I loved being around all girls. My school had a relationship with the all-boys military school called Benedictine High School that was down the block. Fun fact, that's where Steve Bannon went to high school. Ooh, uh, so, is that a fun fact? Uh, more like a shameful fact that I cringe <laughs> every time I think about it, that we have anything in common at all. But yeah, I went to all-girls school for high school and for a lot of my my upbringing. And when it was time to pick a college, it never even occurred to me to go to an all-girl college as much as I liked all-girl high school. Isn't that funny how this is something that wasn't on my radar at all, having gone through co-ed schooling K-12? through And yet Isabel ended up in an all-girls higher education. You went from all-girls secondary to co-ed higher education. And it does seem like... The benefits, which I want to talk about in a second, are very real. However, let's just level set for a second by acknowledging the number of all-female colleges has diminished dramatically over the last 50 years, even. In 1960, there were over 250 women's colleges. But since Vassar went co-ed in 1969 and Radcliffe was absorbed by Harvard as a research institution in 1999, even the revered Seven Sisters Network, a network of historically all-female colleges in the Northeast, many of whom were founded as partner colleges to the all-male Ivy League schools that initially barred women, there are only five of them left. So there are more than five women's colleges in the country, but there are only five of even the seven sisters revered New England colleges uh, left, which include Smith, doesn't that, Izzy? Yeah, Smith is actually the largest of the seven sisters. Well, what I also find so interesting about that is that even though there aren't as many women's colleges around as there used to be, actually demand is up for wanting to attend women's colleges. According to the data, from 2004 to 2012, in the United States, applications to women's colleges actually rose by 53%. And Bernard's class of 2021 had a 14.9% acceptance rate, a drop from 16.7% just the year before. So what is that? The class of 2021 minus four. That is the class below me. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, it feels like this moment we find ourselves in politically with the rise of Teen Vogue, you know, leading the feminist tween revolution and the political climate that we're in right now. It doesn't really surprise me that there's been this renaissance in valuing all female or all women identified person environments. Well, look at co-working spaces like The Wing, right? Super, super successful, making a huge splash. I think that a lot of folks are seeing the value more and more of spaces where it's not overrun by cis men. 
Yeah, actually, the Smith class of 2021 was over-enrolled. Um, Smith let in the same percentage of people that they normally do, expecting some people to turn it down, but so many more people decided to enroll than they were expecting. Wow, that is so fascinating. It really seems like in the very recent past, there's been a new renaissance and excitement around environments that all female higher education colleges, women's colleges really have to offer. When you first stepped foot on campus, Isabel, when you were just considering Smith amongst the other colleges you applied to, did you notice right away that there was a change in the experience of being in an all-women's college? I mean, what stood out to you as most significant before you were a student and after you enrolled? See, when I was visiting Smith, like when I was touring the campus, because it was the only women's college that I was going to, I was really noticing, I was like, wow, there are just absolutely no boys my age here, like no cis boys at all that I can see. And it was like really cool. I mean, it was not like necessarily like kind of shocking because obviously it's a women's college. I was expecting that, but it was just like, you really take note of it. Like when we toured the science building, all of the students in the science building were women and it was great. And when we went to the campus center, like the people that were making us drinks and the people that were running the mail center who are all students, they were all women, you know? I mean, it was just like very interesting to see that like there really just wasn't a presence of guys, I guess. What's so funny is that when I toured colleges, I had the same exact experience only reversed. And so in high school, going to an all-girl high school, Everything was just girls all the time. We, I think we had one male teacher who was there sometimes, but like wasn't really there a lot. I probably did not know more than five boys that were not blood relatives. Like I, I did not know any dudes really at all. And then when I toured my first college, which was co-ed, I was like, there are just guys just around in the classrooms, in the gym. They're just everywhere. They're hanging around. It was, I had never seen that many men before. It became a really interesting new thing where I thought, is this what college is like? There's just guys all all around. It's hanging out. Did you feel like excited about that or did you feel intimidated? And same question for you, Izzy. Like, did you feel less under a uh, looking glass? Yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, it was just really nice. It was very just chill because like even... In a single sex educational institution, there are so many different expressions. Like people were dressed so differently and people had like lots of different haircuts and everything. And it's just like there was just so much going on, um, expression wise that it was just more exciting and more like this is really cool. And it seems like a really freeing and really open environment. And like now as a student here, um, I kind of see where I was right and where in some parts I was wrong. And it's just very interesting to compare like how I looked at Smith as an outsider um, with how I look at Smith now. Interesting. The pixie yeah. power was palpable <laughs> on campus. The Smith chop. <laughs> the Smith chop. I love it. For me, this might sound a little bit strange, but my high school was known for being academically very good. And the boys' school that was affiliated with our school was not so much known for that. So when I got to college and I saw boys in my class, my first thought was, are they smart? And I was, <laughs> I, I don't mean that in a mean way. I really was like, oh, 
boys can understand literature? This is going to be interesting. Like, oh I was very、God. interested to see how, what it would be like to be in a class discussion with, with guys. Because in my experience, going to a school that was very academically rigorous and then knowing, oh, all the, all the boys who go to the boys' school are all like f ups and bad in school <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And that's why they are slackers. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. The kind of kid that wound up at this school, at least when I was there, was the kind of kid who was like, needed to go to mil- military school. It was a military school. Right. Well, as sisters of a brother that went straight from high school to military, that's interesting to me. I always feel like, to me, that's one of the potential downsides of an, a single sex education is like, that is totally valid. So don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like that's pure ignorance, isn't it? Oh, it was、It's、like, it was ignorant. I have no concept of men being capable of academic rigor. Yeah. It's basically the same sexist thing that men will say about women. Like a woman doing geometry is like a dog doing, you know, driving a car. Yeah. I was like, Oh, a boy understanding Sylvia Plath is like a horse being a lawyer. <laughs> it made no the sense funniest, to me. The funniest part of that whole anecdote is that. I went to co-ed schools up until college. And then even in my first year of college, when we do like peer reviews of like papers or lab reports and stuff, if something is terribly written and it's given to me anonymously, my first thought is, is, oh, a boy must have written this before I remember where I am. <laughs> well, there's something to that. I mean, if we look at the data on academic achievement, women and girls have been outperforming men and boys in the ways that our academic Uh, meritocracy is set up. And that's a problem. I mean, there's articles written by Hannah Rosen about the boy crisis in, in education right now that are worth looking at. Different podcast, not today's topic, but I think there's definitely something to that. But at the same time, what people are choosing for themselves when they go into an all women's college is something very special, right? So that's not a blind choice. It's a personal choice and it's a thoughtful, mindful one that everybody makes when they're choosing their college and what's the right cultural fit. So let's look at some of these benefits. What are the major benefits from enrolling in a women's college? Exactly. I couldn't agree more with this quote from Nikki Youngblood Giles, who attended Spelman College, basically highlighting and underscoring the importance of sisterhood that you find on women's college campuses. I definitely found that to be the case when I was in an all-girl educational environment. She says, it is important as women to champion each other and be strong in the face of adversity. The importance of sisterhood is ingrained in us. With a sister, you may not be best friends or like them, but there is no one you would go to bat for more than your sister. And that really resonates with me. And I think that that feeling of, you know, she may not look like me. She may not have my same experience. She may not share my struggle, but she is my sister and I will go to bat for her. I think that's one of the most important benefits of being in a, in a single sex environment. Yeah, I think that's really true with Smith as well. The whole thing, um, where, where the environment at Smith is very competitive, but not competitive necessarily in a way where I want to push you down so I can push myself up over you, but more like this person is working very hard and doing very well. I also want to work very hard and do very well to prove that I am just as good as or better than like this person. Um, and like calling each other out in social experiences. Like instead of doing that, where it's kind of just calling somebody out on saying something wrong or maybe like not really understanding the background of other people, um, calling them in and saying, Hey, let's have a conversation about this. Let's understand where you're coming from and let's try to have a conversation about where other people are coming from and how 
what you did hurt people. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because there's not a lack of diversity at women's colleges. It, It just goes to show you how diverse women are in general. And it actually really reminds me of a quote that came out of a past episode that one of our amazing fans on Instagram turned into a piece of art, which was what makes us different doesn't threaten our unity as women. Right. And it just goes to show you that there are so many different kinds of women that diversity and uh, call-ins are going to happen even in single sex environments. And that it just goes to show you that sisterhood can persist even in the face of that difference and maybe sometimes even conflict around that difference. Yeah, we don't have to be the same and have the same story, same background, same struggles to support each other. And I think that's something that I come back to time and time again. And something important to note is that that's something I had to learn. I wasn't born knowing that. I didn't always know that. That's not something I always championed. It's something that I learned, honestly, after, you know, encountering lots of different kinds of women. And so that just goes to show you the importance of building community with women who aren't like you. I think that there is a lot to be said about the benefits of learning from other people's experiences and being able to tie them in and connect them um, to your own. And I feel like at a women's college, which, you know, can focus on these types of diversity, like we have a program for college students of non-traditional age and they are like coming in and taking classes with us and they are members of the Smith community. And um, a lot of people from different like racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds, like different class backgrounds, it's kind of thrown into the same pool together. That's great. I also want to acknowledge this incredible list of benefits or values that come from women's colleges that Simmons College put together, which has some really astounding statistics. First of all, they found that 81% of women's college graduates felt well-prepared for their first job versus 65% of women graduates from public universities. They also found that despite the fact that women's college graduates make up less than 2% of college graduates overall, they comprise more than 20% of women in Congress and 33% of women on Fortune 100 boards. So women's college graduates be achieving stuff. Like, they are on the rise. That doesn't surprise me even a little bit. When I graduated from a all-girl high school, I felt very prepared and very sort of centered in my own goals and academic achievements and all of that. So it doesn't surprise me at all that these women's college graduates also are going on to feeling very, very in control of their academic lives and their, their goals to come. Totally. Not to mention the impact on STEM. We know that women are leaving STEM fields at much higher rates than their male counterparts. But students who attend women's colleges, they don't see that same kind of drop-off on the collegiate level. They're 1.5 times more likely to major in math, science, or pre-med than students attending co-ed colleges. So it just goes to show you that that experience of seeing women in every role, whether it's in the male room or in the biology lab, right? Seeing women represented in every different job on campus, every different uh, academic department on campus, it's one of those see it, be it type situations where the role models are right there, right in front of you. Yeah. um, I know that when I came to Smith and when I started taking science classes, it was just amazing to see that there were so many opportunities for undergraduate research that I mean, obviously, they're all going to go towards students here at Smith. So, like, the labs are pretty much 100% staffed by Smith students that are, like, 
uh, identify as female or identify as another gender along the gender spectrum. It's really, really amazing to see that there are just so many people that are doing so many different things across so many different fields. Like my friends are majoring in like physics and chemistry and biochemistry and um, like cell bio and like also like women's studies and theater and the study of gender and all of these different things. And it's really cool to see that here it doesn't seem to be something that holds people back. Just FYI, I was a gender and women's studies uh, major in college alongside English. So (laughs) one of my best friends is a study of women and gender major. Yeah. So shout out to us uh, gender studies majors. Yeah. Go humanity. Yeah. Very specific (laughs) kind of person, very interested in long term unemployment like myself. (laughs) I definitely was. Preparing the generation of tomorrow (laughs) for the marketplace of never. (laughs) Yeah, my, I remember my dad saying, oh, is the women's studies factory going to hire you after you graduate? <laughs> and it She's kind of did, also, kind of. I mean, hello, look at what we're doing right now. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, the other interesting finding is classrooms of only or mainly women students seem to result in those students participating more actively in the classroom, reporting higher levels of active learning, higher order thinking, and more academic challenge throughout their four years of college than women who are asked to report on the same indicators in a co-ed setting. So Isabel, did you find yourself participating more in a women's college environment than you did in a co-ed high school? Well, I don't think that there has ever been a time in my entire life when I have not talked over everybody else. <laughs> we share that gene. Is that a, is that a family trait? Just out of curiosity. Probably. In the, in the Aries. I mean, <laughs> you gotta do it right now. I know. In yeah, the, look at us. We're doing it. In the Aries. Well, fine, you go. <laughs> I swear, I think that you guys you guys rehearsed this as a bit, no? This is not a bit, but in the Aries household, everything's a bit. In the Aries household, you have to compete for airtime with six of us who are trying to get our point across, right, Izzy? And I am the youngest of four, so I've had to shout, like, extra loud and say things, like, three or four or five times before anybody actually acknowledges me, which That's- now, as, like, a peer in college, my friends will have to literally say, Isabel, we hear you <laughs> before I can move on. It's funny. I get that too. Yeah. How, how yeah. strange. So we're maybe anomalies and I, and yeah. that question doesn't necessarily apply. Yeah, but, but I think, um, that in college I am having more meaningful interactions with students in the classroom and more meaningful interactions with my professors because it's less of a, like me answering the questions so that we can move on in more of a me answering the question and then asking another question for follow-up and then another student answering that. And it turns into like a discussion or it turns into the professor acknowledging that and talking about it. And what you said about higher order thinking, um, I've really seen that happen in the classroom here. That reminds me a lot of my high school experience. I read a lot about how sometimes girls in class feel pressure to not speak up, not answer questions perhaps because they don't want to look like they're the smart girl who's dominating the class discussion. Maybe they think it'll make them look attractive if they're not answering questions and like boys don't want a girl that's too smart or some sort of gender stereotype like that. I never had to deal with any of that being in a single sex educational environment. I never had to worry that someone was going to think something about me because I was talking in class or, you know, piped up in class discussion a lot. And so 
I think I took that with me to college. I was definitely someone who liked to be involved in class discussions, never even gave a thought to how it made me look. It just seemed like how I had been socialized to be in a classroom. That's great. I think that's a really valuable and rare opportunity. And that's part of what makes having the safe space of having an all-female environment so powerful. So here's the thing, right? Research shows that women's colleges succeed at nurturing and educating young women in a way that outperforms co-ed college campuses. But Bridget, Izzy, the world is co-educational. The world is not all women. So I want to talk through, when we come back from this quick break, whether or not we're doing women a disservice by not preparing them for that. But first, a word from our sponsors. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. And we're back, and we're talking through the major benefits of women's colleges and their increasing demand, even though the numbers of women's colleges have decreased over the past half a century. But one of the potential drawbacks that is written about, is well-documented, uh, is a concern among some parents and prospective students, is that attending a women's college might not make those women graduates fully prepared to take on the co-ed world that we all live in. What do you think about that, Bridget? Well, if you listen to our episode on HBCUs, historically black colleges, that's the same argument that people made around why they shouldn't go to HBCUs because you know, the if your campus is majority black, when you get to the working world or whatever, it's not going to be that way. I don't think that argument holds a lot of water because I think exactly like you see in the research, 
Perhaps it's that women's colleges and HBCUs set people up for success more readily than their than their counterparts. Yeah, here at Smith, I think that we very much understand that the world is not all women, unfortunately. Like, we aren't all Amazons on the island that Wonder Woman grew up on that I would not be able to pronounce for the life of me. But I think that here we foster and nurture the sense of confidence and the sense of, like, empowerment and really just the ability to get the work done and the ability to know what you're talking about and know what you are doing. That comes a lot from having the opportunity that is provided at a women's college to get the jobs and get the experience that a lot of times in co-ed colleges would go more often to men. Like here at Smith, you can do undergraduate research starting your first year at Smith. But at co-ed colleges, a lot of those research positions would probably be taken up by men. I don't know the statistics on that, but knowing the other statistics about the gender dynamics in STEM, I mean, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Exactly. Smith College actually offers this perfect tagline about navigating the transition between a single-sex college environment and the co-ed world we live in. They say, of course, the world is co-educational, but Smith women enter it more confidently than women graduates of co-ed schools. And I think that's really, at the end of the day, what women's colleges are all about, are preparing women to do the work and have the confidence to enter the arena and not be shy about being seen as bossy or brash or too smart, God forbid. I also think it just underscores the importance of really getting to know how men operate in professional and educational settings. I think going into the working world that is co-educational, thinking it's going to be the same as it was when you were in an all-girl environment, isn't probably the best way to get yourself set up for success. One of the stories I was really struck by was this woman who graduated from Notre Dame of Maryland University, who basically says that in her workplace, she had to sort of get comfortable with how men can be. And we all know, looking at the statistics, men and women interact differently in professional settings. And so she realized, oh, men are quicker than women to ask for promotions. Men are more likely to use the word I than we when talking about professional accomplishments. And so just being aware of these sometimes very real differences helped her navigate that transition. So I don't want to tell people that they're never going to encounter any kind of downside for having gone to a single sex education in the workplace, just be aware of it and be thinking about it while you're navigating these these workplaces. Yeah. Also, I I think we run the risk of making it sound like all women's colleges fit some feminist utopian stereotype. And I, I wonder if those are just stereotypes, right? Like the reputation out there that a lot of incoming students into women's colleges especially have to contend with is, oh, You're going to go to a college that's full of feminist, vegetarian lesbians. That's no fun at all. That's super serious and PC all the time. And it's basically a convent. And I don't know. I mean, like, came up in the research that sort of stereotypical, mythical reputation. Izzy, you're there. Like, you can speak to this better than everyone. What's your take on on what's true about those stereotypes versus what's not true at all? Well, I just remember the summer before I came here that I was taking a driving instructor lesson and um, I told the guy who was my instructor that I was going to Smith and he was like, oh, Smith, everybody's really catty up there and all of their periods sync up. Oh my God. And it was just really, it was really gross. And it was just like, I mean, it's at that point it was 2016. Like, come on, really? We're Smith. We're not a big party school. I don't really know if any of the 
women's colleges are big party schools, but we do have fun. We aren't always super serious. There are a lot of queer women on campus, a lot of queer people on campus. There are a lot of feminists. Not that any of those things are bad things, right? No, of, of course not. Um, it's just, it's really funny because people are like, oh my God, everybody there is a lesbian. And it's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here um, first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we do actually have one dining hall that is specifically vegan for people who don't eat meat. No, so, brother. <laughs> Bridget just yeah. rolled her eyes. I'm not rolling my eyes at the concept of veganism. I'm rolling my eyes because I'm thinking back to my college experience where if you didn't get food poisoning, you were lucky that Smith <laughs> has an entire oh. vegan option dining hall. Oh, no, you can still get food poisoning at Smith. <laughs> as, long as, as long as it's an equal opportunity food poisoning provider, I'm fine. Everything here is good. Like, it's less of Smith being a place where there are tons of catty PC people that are going to jump on you for making one small misstep and more of a place where it's just really open to people from all different walks of life and people from all different kinds of experiences who have different like dietary needs and who are minorities in sexualities or in gender expressions. So it's just a very open, very tolerant place to go to school. I feel like this episode is revealing a lot of my own personal ignorance around this subject because when you mention the stereotype that women's colleges, you can't party there. They're no fun. They're full of sort of serious, dowdy people. <laughs> that was probably one of the reasons why I didn't ever think about going to a women's college, because after years and years of Catholic girls school, I was ready to party. Like I was, I made a conscious choice. I'm like, I am ready to party. I went to a school that is often on one of those Playboy top party school lists. I went to a party school, no doubt about it. And I always thought that if I went to a place like Smith or, you know, a small liberal women's college, yeah. I wouldn't have the chance to drunkenly fall out of a window or something. <laughs> I felt like I was going to be missing something that was quintessential hey, to what I thought was the college experience. Hey, know thyself. And Bridget Todd knows herself. Oh, I'm also, that's not a hypothetical no. thing. I did drunkenly fall off a balcony. Oh my God. <laughs> I was sitting on a balcony and I was trying to impress a guy and somebody was going around throwing beers at people. And I was like, hey, throw a beer to me. And I just caught it. And then I fell right over. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Just to go on the record here. Drink responsibly, sminty listeners, and maybe that's one of the un unspoken risks of being around guys. It makes you want to show off by looking I really think- cool like Bridget Todd does. <laughs> Honestly, Bridget, you are an icon. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think something that is really convenient about Smith's party culture specifically is that we are right down the road from UMass Amherst, or as the locals call it, Zoomass Slamhurst. <laughs> It's true, though. A lot of women's colleges have this reputation of being the convent where all these serious women go to study. But almost all of them are right across the street from a co-ed schooling environment or have like a brother college that they're associated with. So it's not that you're never going to be around guys. It's just about the classroom setting being a safe space for women to really get the attention And speaking of safe spaces, we've been talking a little bit on the binary about gender thus far. We've been talking about women's colleges versus dudes that are hanging around that we're impressing by hanging out of windows sometimes. 
a little uh, drunkenly. But when we come back, I want to take a closer look at those students who don't fall neatly on this false binary of gender and explore how colleges, especially women's colleges, are opening their doors and including trans students in a mindful way. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So we're back, and I want to explore what the experience at women's colleges can be like for trans students and students who don't fall on this false binary of gender. So, Isabel, you've already mentioned that Smith and many women's colleges have this culture of inclusion and acceptance for diversity amongst all the women students who are there, all the students who identify as women who go to women's colleges. But what about this sort of post-gender, gender-fluid world that we're living in now? We have to consider how women's colleges have adapted in terms of guidance on transgender students and whether or not they're allowed at women's colleges and protected from discrimination under Title IX. So just as a refresher, I know we talked a lot about Title IX on our episode about campus sexual assault recently, but it was a ruling enacted by Congress in 1972 to prohibit all discrimination on the basis of sex in any educational institution that receives federal funding. But when Congress was actually deliberating the legislation, elite schools like Harvard, Dartmouth, and Smith, of all places, lobbied for and won a private school exemption for single-sex undergraduate admissions. So basically, as Title IX is written, private women's colleges can still accept or reject anyone based on their gender. That's what they were asking for in terms of their exemption, and they got it. 
And that became really thorny when a student in 2013, Calliope Wong, applied to Smith and was rejected along the basis of gender. Basically, Smith sent Calliope a letter saying, Smith is a women's college, which means that undergraduate applicants to Smith must be female at the time of admission. Your FAFSA indicates your gender as male. Therefore, Smith cannot process your application. And this is such a thorny issue because for transgender students who are trying to transition from one gender identity to the next, getting that M to F on your FAFSA form is not as easily said as done. The rules for changing gender on government-issued documents vary wildly from one agency to the next and across state lines. In many parts of our country, to get a change of gender on your birth certificate, you need to get proof, documentation, that sex reassignment surgery has been performed. Surgery that, by the way, most doctors will not perform on anyone under the age of 18. Wow. So that really does complicate the issue of trying to get into a woman's college and needing to have this kind of designation. The vice president of enrollment for Smith College, Audrey Smith, explained this choice in an email. She says, Smith was founded for a specific purpose, to educate and create opportunity for women. We don't define what constitutes a woman. We leave that to other entities and agencies to affirm. But we do require that it be affirmed at point of admission, which I think is kind of... A cop-out? It just seems so reductive to me. It's obvious now that Smith had more power all along to make their own rules about this. It seems strange to me that they would just sort of pass the buck and say, hey, we don't define anything when it comes to gender. We're leaving that up to other agencies, but we're just going to say that we, we won't let you in. Right. And that was what a lot of the students on campus were up in arms about, which is why in 2015, Smith came around on their policy. They reshaped their entire policy after a, quote, year of soul searching and decided that all incoming students or applicants to the college have to do is self-identify, is to note on their application that they identify as women. And I just want to add, I think that's the way it should be. I think we should be operating along the lines that individuals know their own situations better than anyone else. And so if you identify as a woman, I'm going to take your word for it because who knows better than you? I don't think that we should be leaving it up to other agencies to define that. We should let people have the space to self-define and then take them for their word because they would know. Right. There was some hubbub from the other side of that opinion, though, that students, let's say male-identified students who were children of, I don't know, administrators or professors at Smith, would then try to go to college basically at a discounted rate using mom's discounted access by just saying, yeah, I identify as female, when they're really totally existing as men. Was that something that actually happened? No, it was just a fear, I think. There was no evidence behind that fear. I always find that a lot of times the alternate arguments for these things are these wild hypotheticals that are not actually happening. So my thing is always like, if that happens, it's something that should be dealt with. But if it's not happening, why make the college application process so much harder for trans students along the lines of something that isn't even happening because of a hypothetical? Yeah, I feel like especially at Smith, because our living situations are all like you live in a house and you have a roommate your first year and you are in this community where you're basically spending time with students like all the time, like in class or at home. It'd be really hard to get away with that. And I don't understand why anybody would really want to do that. You know, like it just 
is not a real issue here. Yes. It sounds like the plot yeah. of an 80s movie, right? <laughs> like, a, she's the man or... um. I'm always thinking of Some Like It Hot, total different decade that we're talking about but with Marilyn Monroe, with those two guys who were basically in drag for the entirety of the movie for a financial gain, right? Like, that just, it's so far-fetched. And not to mention, Smith and other women's colleges have to design policies for trans women who are applying to go to college, but also women who apply to Smith or other women's colleges get accepted and then decide to transition to a male gender identity while in college. How has that come up for you at Smith, Isabel? Well, I know a couple people who are exactly as you described. They came to Smith identifying as women and then realized over their time here that that wasn't really true to them and that they do identify as male. And um, they were met with some skepticism, of course, because it was kind of this thing of like, well, if you are that, like, if you don't identify as a woman, then why would you want to be at a women's college? But they have like received support from the administration and from like people that they need in order to be able to transition to male while at Smith and um, be comfortable and be safe here. And like the whole idea that if you don't identify as a woman, that you don't belong at a women's college is kind of ridiculous, especially after these are people who have spent like two or three years here because they have like built up a life here and they've built up a community and they are on track to get their degrees and they're getting very good grades. And now because of their transition, you're saying that they should give all of this up and go somewhere else, which is just not necessary. It's not necessary and it's not fair. It's not fair to tell a student that. And I think particularly at a place that is meant to be inclusive of all these different experiences, all these different backgrounds, it's not fair to say, because you are advocating for how you actually feel your gender is playing out, because you are advocating for yourself in that way, you you have to lose all these college credits, all this money, all this time, all this community that you've built. I don't think it should work that way, because as we know, in 2017, gender isn't that black and white. Exactly. And I would be remiss to not mention the high amount of people at Smith who don't identify as male or female, and they identify as, like, um, non-binary or genderqueer, and their identities are very much valued and very much respected by the majority of people here. And, like, in classes and in house meetings and um, in lots of different, like, club meetings and everything, you're asked for your pronouns, and you go around and you say your pronouns so that, like, you don't accidentally call somebody she when they would rather um, be referred to as they or them or any other, like, pronoun. Totally. And you know what's interesting? That women's colleges aren't the only institutions who are adapting their policies on this. You mentioned the wing, Bridget, at the top of the episode, which I thought was so on point because the wing, this women's only co-working space that's really taken off, has also been questioned for their policies around trans women and how they're advocating for and including folks who are gender non-conforming. In this New York Times article covering the evolution of the wing's policies, the founder said they would likely check out the person's social media feeds as part of their vetting process and look for other indications of the person, quote, living as a woman. They've actually looked to women's colleges for guidance on how to construct their policies. Barnard College, which they cite in the New York Times, stipulates that it will, quote, consider for admission those applicants who consistently live and identify as women, which sounds a little bit nuanced, right? It requires this like track record of gender performance that I don't know if that's perfect or if it could be better. When I think of a policy like that, I think it sounds a little bit 
confusing, but it actually seems kind of like common sense to me that basically reaffirming this idea that someone is going to be lying about their gender just to like get into a women's change room or get into a women's locker room or get into a women's only college. We know that's not actually happening. Basically, what I think they're saying is that if that happens, they'll probably be able to tell. But they can generally people are not lying about their gender to grip somebody. And I think that's basically what they're saying, that, you know, there are ways of seeing if someone is authentically living the way they say they are. And I think it's obvious. Does that make sense? Yes, I totally agree. And I think that that also opens the door to some potentially dangerous viewpoints of people who are gender nonconforming or who are trans that come to women's colleges. Like there is a very small and unfortunately pretty vocal, well, not like mainstream vocal, but like kind of underground vocal group of these people that think that trans people shouldn't be at Smith at all because they're just like, basically they see these trans people as men who are dressing up as women to come and like get off of some perverse like idea of being in a women's college. And it's really disgusting because that kind of idea that like, you have to have proof of your gender because otherwise men are just going to try to sneak into a women's college. It's it's just harmful. Well, Izzy, I think it actually reflects a larger and somewhat unfortunate debate happening in a lot of feminist circles right now where you have what they call trans-exclusive radical feminists who pretty much say, if you like, you need to have been born this way in order to be accepted into this community and they draw a hard line. I just find that to be such a disappointing stance because I think movements like the feminist movement are better and stronger when there are more folks represented, not less. And I think this idea of you're in because you had this kind of experience and you're out because you had that kind of experience is so wrong. And that's something that I had to learn myself is that just because a trans woman had a different kind of experience upbringing than I did doesn't mean that a trans woman is not a woman. It doesn't mean that our experiences, just because they're different, doesn't mean that one is more valid than the other. Again, our differences don't have to threaten our unity. Exactly. Exactly. And that, honestly, we could do an entire podcast on feminists and trans movements and trans inclusion, which we totally should. But what you're reminding me of is one other facet of diversity on women's college campuses that I really think is important we we explore, which is that intersection of race as it meets women's colleges. We know that there are historically black colleges and universities like Spelman that are also women's colleges. So talk about Spelman women really living at that intersection of being in a women's environment that's also a POC environment, right? And that that must be like the most intersectional moment of life for those students. But unfortunately, intersectional feminism wasn't historically in vogue at the start of many of these colleges. For instance, Bryn Mawr College recently announced that it would be scaling back its association with Ms. Carrie Thomas, a founder of the college, who happened to be racist as hell, who was a total vocal anti-Semite and completely discriminated against people of color, despite the fact that she was a suffragette. She presided over the college from 1894 to 1922, right around the suffragist victory on women winning the right to vote. But historical accounts reveal that she almost exclusively championed the rights of white women, as did many suffragettes, unfortunately, and discriminated against Jewish and African-American applicants to Bryn Mawr. Again, none of this surprises me at all because it really does reflect a lot of the 
other conversations happening in feminist circles in terms of intersectionality and inclusion? Um, yeah, so there's kind of a similar history with Smith. Like um, our founder, Sophia Smith, founded the institution for white upper class Protestant women. So it was very much exclusionary for many groups. But now we have lots of different programs that are made specifically for supporting our POC and our students of color. We have the Bridge Program, which happens for incoming first year students. They get to campus a couple days before the rest of the incoming first year class. And it's specifically for navigating a predominantly white and historically white institution and getting that community of POC together and basically telling them like, this is going to be a huge culture shock because it's full of white women who are just going to like have no idea, unfortunately, like how to relate to you and no idea how to talk to you because lots of women who are at this college are white folks who are from other predominantly white communities. So navigating this space as a person of color can be super, super difficult. And it takes a lot of support. And from what my POC friends tell me, it can be exhausting. Well, Izzy, you really underscore the importance of building those communities on campus. And so as someone who did go to a predominantly white college, it was really important to me to have spaces where I could connect with other students of color and not even in a way that's, you know, what you think of as like safe spaces, just knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that I could, you know, kick it with someone who understood what I was going through and all of that was critically important for my time in college. And so I'm happy to see that Smith is investing in those same community building strategies because they are really important. When you go to college, you need to know that there are other people there that get you, that are like you. Even small things of like, if you're a black girl, where do you get your hair done? Where do you buy your makeup? If you're in a really small, all-white town, things like that. Those are real. Those are real. And it really does make a difference in terms of how you feel in your college, whether you feel like an insider or an outsider, whether you feel included or not. It's so funny you would mention that because one of the things that stood out to me the most about that article in the New York Times about the wing is that they include makeup products and hair products in their bathrooms throughout their entire co-working spaces, city to city. And women of color were interviewed saying, I was really impressed when I went to the bathroom and saw that they had hair products that were not specifically and only for white women. Uh, shout out to the wing. If you guys get a hair braider in the, like, on staff, I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So I'm optimistic for spaces that have been created for women, women's colleges or women's co-working spaces who are evolving when it comes to racial inclusion, trans inclusion, folks who are non-gender conforming and making sure that those diverse populations of all kinds of women feel included, seen, respected, and heard, and are given that equal opportunity to have safe access to their education. I mean, there are lots of experiences that people come to Smith with and lots of different backgrounds. So we have the Black Students Alliance and we have the Bridge Program, which I know people who have gone through the Bridge Program and they said that it was extremely meaningful and that without it, they probably would not have gotten through Smith. I think that being at a women's college like this that really works every day on bettering itself as an institution and has a student body that pushes itself and the institution to better itself along all of these different fronts of diversity and inclusion. Um, it's a really powerful experience. And I learn something new from my peers every single day. And I learn something new from my professors every single day, not only like 
lessons that they're teaching in class about the subject, but also how they teach it and how they interact with us and how they are also in themselves working to better the diversity and better the institution as a whole. And um, I'm very just grateful for this experience. I don't think I could get it anywhere else. And we're grateful for having you on the pod, Izzy. Thanks so much for for being a friend of the pod, for being a (laughs) resident little sis of the pod. Yeah, I don't think I have a choice to be a friend of the pod or not. (laughs) It's true. Your (laughs) Your family of the pod. Okay, Sminty fans, we want to hear from you. Are you like me, who is a lifelong and vocal advocate of single-sex education? Or are you kind of coming around on the issue, thinking about it, mulling over? Either way, we want to hear from you. Did you go to a women's college? Why or why not? Were women's colleges on your radar when you were making a list of where you might go to college if you went at all? Honestly, I just want to know how women's colleges and single-sex education has played out in your life or shown up or not shown up please get in touch with us. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Ever Told You, on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. And as always, we love getting your emails at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.